So now as we turn our attention towards prudence, we won't spend quite as much time kind of setting up what virtue is week in and week out, obviously. Uh, But as we turn our attention to this, I have a challenge for you. I've given you a sheet of paper. I haven't provided anything for you to write with, but um, uh, that doesn't mean that you can't take notes. I want you to take one note. If there's anything in the context of prudence that you can take away, I want you to put a pin in it. I want you to uh, take one thing away from this topic of prudence and own it. So whether that's writing it down and memorizing it, whether it's uh, making a note and then revisiting it and going deeply, whether it's uh, thinking about something, a a conviction, or an area of celebration and mentioning it to one of your friends at City Church, I just want you to take something away from this time and do something with it. Own one thing. Okay, I'll leave that up to you, what that is. It can be a big thing. It can be a small thing. Just don't let tonight pass you by without having one thing that you take away. Prudence. Now, there is a definition also for prudence. Uh, We can all probably use that. We all have an idea that it has something to do with wisdom. But here's the uh, definition that I want to deal with this evening, and that is prudence is right reason applied in action. It's right, that means truthful, reason, so it is an intellectual virtue. It has something to do with the mind. It has something to do with wisdom. It has something to do with knowledge, and it's true knowledge true wisdom, true reason, but it can't end there. Prudence is not prudence if it is merely informational, where you just stick it in your head and then you never actually do anything with it. Prudence is right reason applied in action. It's got to be applied to something. So as we are understanding the world rightly, as we are understanding God in his nature and man in our nature and the redemption story and its taking up and revealing all of God's uh, glory, we've got to do something with it. That's what prudence is. St. Thomas Aquinas in Summa Theologica says this, prudence is the charioteer of virtue. Now, since we don't have chariots around. Uh, I just want to kind of parse that word out. Uh, The charioteer is the person that's in command. They're the one that's driving the, uh, the horses. They're standing behind them and they're telling them where to go. So what we're going to spend some time over the next four weeks is knowing and understanding the relationship of fortitude with temperance and how all of these things kind of hang together. Prudence is the thing that tells those other uh, more moral virtues versus intellectual virtues uh, where they're going, what to do. So I want to make this personal by just uh, having an application here. I can tell you to have fortitude, and you can be like, great, I'm going to have courage, and I'm going to have fortitude, whatever that means. But if you don't have the prudence to know and understand what is worth fighting for, you can, uh, your fortitude can turn into a dangerous kind of courage that fights for the wrong things. It can ruin you. It can ruin someone else. So we have to have prudence before we get to any of the other virtues. Prudence, then, is a practical wisdom that enables us to discern out true good in every circumstance and choose the right means of achieving it. Now that last little part actually comes from a catechism, so I didn't write that. I'm going to say it again though because I think it's really helpful. Prudence is a practical wisdom that enables us to discern out true good in every circumstance and choose the right means of achieving it. That's what prudence is. 
So that right reason applied to action is actually going somewhere, and it's going towards a true good all the time, in every circumstances, giving you the means to choose what is right and know how to accomplish it. Prudence is then a well-ordered reason applied to action so that we know not only what to do, but also how and when to do it. We've all heard sayings like, you know, uh, that's not a battle that I'm going to pick right now. That's prudence. Uh, to, to know when and how to do something is often more, in times, uh, more times more important than knowing what to do. Uh, a lot of times our conscience will tell us quite plainly what is right, what is wrong, the right thing to do, but uh, we'll often pick the wrong moments. We'll do it in the wrong way. Prudence actually takes up those kinds of things too. It enables us then to make a good decision based on the true goal and purpose of life. Back in the 1950s, uh, Pew Research did a, a poll of college entrants. And what they did is they had uh, nationwide um, college uh, freshmen uh, rank 30 different things that they could get out of life in order of the way that they wanted it. I don't remember all of the things that were on that list, but I do remember two of them. In the 1950s, uh, the average college freshman said that number two on their list was a solid, durable worldview. Uh, number 2829 came back fame. It just wasn't valuable in 1950s. They wanted a good worldview out of college, and they didn't care if it made them famous. In 2010, they did the same poll of freshmen, college freshmen, and the two had flip-flopped. They don't want the worldview anymore. They want fame. And we see this daily. I don't have to convince you of it, right? But I also don't have to probably convince many of you of, uh, of the value of those things. The worldview, knowing what is true, what to believe, how to do it, those things are invaluable. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15 says this, the prudent look where they are going. They look where they're going. That's what the prudent do. They know where they're going and they know how to get there. In fact, in other words, it means that they begin with the end in mind. They say, I'm going to go over there, and this is how I'm going to do it. That's what a prudent person does. Prudence is a virtue that allows us to perceive in the midst of the complexities of life what uh, way of acting will, conclude, will, con will, conduce, uh, will be conducive to the most goodness and to act according to that perception. All of that is just a way of saying a worldview. If, if the human being were a computer, and thank God we're not, not yet anyway, um, we have an operating system of some kind. It begins, I mean, before we're even born, it is meted out in the nurturingness of a mother. It is uh, brought in by the loving discipline of a father. We, raised, we are raised in circumstances that tell us something about the way that we view the world. It can be a bad worldview. It can be a good worldview. But I guarantee you that as you are trying to be prudent, your worldview is that operating system, just like Windows, just like whatever's on Macintosh computers that runs them. Uh, you've got an operating system. 
And what we need to be doing is making sure that that operating system is cutting out the pieces of code that do not align with the kind of world that God created and what he created us for and putting and inserting scriptural code back into the system so that we can be operating with prudence in our worldview. Prudence is not popular in a think of yourself, be your own person, do whatever you want in life, be you, be you, be true to yourself, follow your heart, caution to the wind kind of world. Prudence is not popular in that kind of world. St. Thomas Aquinas, though, says that there are three keys to being prudent. These are things that you can kind of take with you. If you're looking to be a prudent person, you need to have counsel, you need to have judgment, and you need to have decisiveness. So you need to have counsel, you need to have judgment, and you need to have decisiveness. That's a key to being prudent. Counsel. Counsel is the act of inquiry. It's asking people. It starts in a place of humility rather than impulsivity and passion and stubbornness. All of us know those types of people that are driven by every uh, wind of personal passion that they have. They don't mind making a wreck of their lives or the lives of people around them. They don't mind being imprudent as long as they're being true to their real selves and as long as they're following every emotional whim. But the, prudence not, the prudent person is not that way. They take counsel. They take time. Scripture says this, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So we're to take counsel. We're to take counsel not in our heart of hearts, but in the Lord, and to turn away from evil. Where there is no guidance, peoples fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is what? Safety. In an abundance of counselors, there is safety. The prudent person seeks out counsel. So we are looking for those kinds of people, wise people, surrounding ourselves with them, doing as they do, rather than trying to take up these things on our own, figure out what we believe about them. What we need to do is pay attention to time-tested things, even traditions. I heard a definition of tradition recently that I thought was really curious. They said, traditions are experiments that have worked over and over and over again. In a world where we kind of eschew traditions and we say, well, that's not right. Let's burn those things to the ground. Let's let new traditions kind of arise up. Maybe, maybe that works. Or maybe we should test things that worked for our grandparents and our great-grandparents. Trust those things. Test them. Test the spirits in them. But maybe we ought to be following not just the counsel of people that are alive, not just seeking out the Lord in prayer, but also taking a look at generations before us. Second, judgment. Judgment is deliberate discerning of God's will. Judgment is not just thinking whatever you think. It is to actually deliberate discerningly on God's will. So this puts you in a place of submission, submission to God, rather than rationalizing and justifying whatever it is that you want and then finding that person that you know will agree with you. And then just going, what do you think? And they're like, well, I think what you think. Uh, that's not prudent. That's not using judgment. It's going to the Lord and being submissive to him. So here's a question for you. Do you only seek advice from people that you think will agree with you and agree with the direction that you want to go? That's not judgment. That's not deliberately discerning God's will. What we need to do is find people that are willing to disagree with us willing to call us out on our junk, 
willing to say, I wouldn't go that way, I'd go this way. And even maybe when you don't fully understand, you go, you know, in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. That's what judgment looks like. So judgment is uh, something where uh, out of Scripture we can see that whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against sound judgment. So if we're wanting some Scripture to kind of undergird and understand why we would practice uh, judgment in community, uh, if you're seeking isolation, then you're seeking your own desires. What we want to do instead is find sound judgment rather than break out against it. Also in Scripture, God's will brings every deed into judgment. So it's His judgment, not ours. And every secret thing will be shown for being good or evil. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane does this. He deliberately discerns the will of the Lord and says, not my will, but yours be done. And if Jesus can submit to the will of God the Father and deliberate and discern about that through uh, the shedding of blood and many tears and crying out, then we ought to also. Lastly, decisiveness. Decisiveness puts right judgment into immediate action. So you can be the type of person that goes and finds counselors, and then you find more counselors, and then you find a few more, and then you deliberate and you try to discern the will of God, and that actually proves to be very difficult oftentimes for us, right? And so then we spend more time in prayer, and we discern further, and then it's been six months, and then it's been a year, and we've never made a decision. And what God is asking us to do is to uh, align our wills to His, but then also to act out in faith. This is where being decisive comes in. It puts right judgment into immediate action. And this is where, instead of acting pridefully and certainly, we act with confidence. For, for many of us, we don't uh, ever really try to discern things in that way and then be uh, decisive in a way that actually uh, says that we are confident that the Lord is leading us in that direction, many of us are paralyzed by the decision-making process. But a prudent person actually tries to be decisive once they've uh, sought counsel, once they've made a, uh, as best they can a, a good judgment about what it is that the will of God is, and then in the midst of faith, still being decisive. This develops with experience. It's not something that uh, we get every single uh, you know, time right, but every decision we see in Scripture is from the Lord. And so we get to, even in the midst of decisiveness, trust in God's sovereignty. Sawyer and I have had uh, many decisions that we've had to be decisive about. We've come to moments where we really knew that it was an inflection point. Our life was going to go this way or it was going to go that way. And oftentimes we did feel paralyzed in the decision. We didn't know precisely what was right. And what we do um, so oftentimes uh, remember and recognize is, is that uh, regardless of the perfection of that decision, which it's never been, despite the fact that I've never heard a discernible voice from heaven or clouds parting moment, the Lord and His sovereignty has gone with us in those decisions. And so we can actually be confident and be decisive in that confidence. This makes us uh, dependable to the people that are around us because we're not paralyzed constantly by indecision. This makes us determined to continue to uh, find and explore and discover and adventure in the will of God. And it also allows for us to be unreserved, to be wholehearted in these things. Not foolishly so, 
humbly so, but wholehearted, saying, we've been decisive. We're going this way. We're going to go that way until the Lord tells us to go a different way. This is decisiveness. What we can see in Scripture is an example of when indecisiveness killed our Savior in Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate had an inclination about what he was supposed to do. He didn't find any fault in Jesus. And so instead, what he did was he said, well, why don't you go see another ruler? And when they came back, he said, well, I still don't find any fault. Uh, what is, crowd, what do you want me to do? Crucify him? Well, let me give you the decision to make between him and, uh, and a murderer, uh, not a murderer, but an uh, uh, insurrectionist. And then he, he literally offloads the decision. And so it was actually indecisiveness that uh, aided in the killing of our Savior. That's not the kind of decisiveness, that's not the kind of prudence that we need to have. What I want to do is use the next uh, a few moments to kind of wrap this up and make it uh, really applicable, to bring it down to our daily lives. This might seem like a strange place to kind of end the evening, but I want you to take it with you um, as kind of a microcosm for seeing how prudence actually affects not just you, but affects the people around you. We can, and it might surprise you to find this, fight anxiety with prudence. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, do not be anxious. But what we see is, is that anxiety arises in a divided heart. When we lose that interior peace and that confidence in God, we become anxious. And so I want for you to see how being a prudent person can actually build and create a culture, uh, not just in your own interior space, but in the space of your relationships, your home, your friendships, in the community that we have in this church. When anxiousness, uh, when we are anxious and overcome by, concern, by the concerns of this world, it may appear that we are prudent. We're constantly trying to figure out our finances. We're trying to think about the right way to educate our children. We're always kind of anxious about uh, what health decisions to make. It can actually look like we're being fairly prudent. But when preoccupied, they cloud our vision, they paralyze us, and they steal our peace, and ultimately they lead to imprudence and poor decision-making. This is something that you might be surprised. It's not an uh, application that I'm coming up with. Nothing that I'm saying tonight, by the way, is something that I'm coming up with. Uh, all of it is just plagiarized from, I mean, centuries and centuries of writing on this topic. Aquinas says this, that uh, it can appear prudent, but becomes sinful when the concerns of this world are one, ends in and of themselves, when they replace, our, uh, when they replace the Father as our number one in life. He says, secondly, that um, concerns of this world can actually, the anxiety of the concerns of this world distract us uh, from pursuing spiritual goods like prayer scripture reading, these kinds of things. All of us have experienced this where anxiety is stealing our joy and then taking us away from spiritual disciplines. St. Thomas Aquinas says that that's one of the ways that the concerns of this world and the anxiety from that actually uh, take us away from being virtuous and prudent people. What I want to do is wrap up this section by actually uh, using uh, words in a book that uh, I read on this um, that I think makes this point far greater than I could. It says this, we certainly should have genuine concern over human affairs, but we should never be taken over by anxiety. That is a sign that something is off in our souls. 
We want to discern the roots of anxiety prayerfully and be willing to seek help from a a confessor or from a spiritual director or even possibly a professional counselor. For being anxious is about anything, or sorry, for being anxious about anything can paralyze us and keep us from prudence and making good decisions in this life. Anxiety can actually steal those things away from us. But when we're anxious over the future, um, this is actually the opposite of being prudent. It's uh, when we're prudently planning for the future, uh, we can be prudent. But when we're uh, being anxious over the future, it actually steals things away. Being taken over by fear of the future takes us out of the presence, out of the presence of people around us. We are neither able to glorify God by trusting him nor loving others in the here and now. When our anxiety spills over onto others, our anxiety can hurt our relationships with others. Imprudence can lead us to be uh, restless and agitated in our spirits versus uh, peaceable. Christian leaders must have a non-anxious presence. We must have a peaceful confidence. We must be prudent. This is uh, one uh, application among hundreds of applications where imprudence can actually uh, affect uh, our families, our life as a community, and these kinds of things. Um, The prudent person sees reality correctly and acts according to that perception. To be prudent, we need the three main sub-virtues, counsel, judgment, and decisiveness. With these aspects of prudence, we can consistently make decisions that bring about what is good for our families, friends, and communities, as well as ourselves. That's a really beautiful vision for what prudence can actually accomplish in us and in the people around us. So I want to uh, pray for that, um, pray for us, and then we'll stand and sing the doxology.